ever to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. And you covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Saviour, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you, be, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I'll listen to what God, the Lord, says. He promises peace to his people, to his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. So do you know what? For, for me, this psalm speaks right from the start about Jesus. Even though Jesus had not yet been born when the psalm was composed. And so Jesus was surely not on this author's mind when, when the psalm was first written. But in so many ways, I hope that... Um, that we will see that he fulfills and, and goes beyond what um, is being hoped for and prayed for in the psalm. However, I also hope that we will see that it is still very much an urgent prayer for our times today. Okay, so from verse 1 to verse 3. As the, as the curtain is raised um, on the scene, the, the initial context of this psalm is, is this. It's, it's an acknowledgement of the awesome things that God has done. Just as God's glory is so often seen and revealed in what God does. Maybe you can think of some times like that in your life or in the life of this church or, in, or another place where you've been. Awesome things that God has done. And so it says, can you feel it in these words? You, Lord, you showed your favor to your land when you restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people, covering all our sins. You set aside your wrath and you turned away from your anger. So I love how right from the start, of the psalm, the first words make me think of Jesus because Jesus has saved us from our sin. 
And he's saved us from our sin already in a way that goes way, way beyond what is described in these words. And yet, because Jesus both is and was with God from the start, we we shouldn't be surprised that even before he lived and and died um, and was raised back to life, God was already in the habit of, of restoring um, and of forgiving and of covering people's sins so that, so that what? Um, so that God's glory might dwell in, in you and, and, in, and in us and, and in our, our land. That is God's plan, that God's glory might dwell in the creation that God has made. And yet there's a problem in this psalm. There's a problem in this psalm, which is that this is not actually the context out of which the psalm was composed. But instead, this, this first few verses is just a fleeting image um, or a picture or a memory that is um, initially used just to set the scene um, as a way of showing what life was like before. As a way of showing what life was like before. Before, as, as we read on, what we discover is that the real present moment of the psalm is not, is not a place of fortune or favour at, at all. Um, but instead it, it begins with a sort of flashback um, to a time of blessing that had existed before and yet now was gone. So what's the real context and moment of this psalm? Well, it's, it's a prayer that God would bring back those times once again. As we read in, in the bulk of the psalm from, from verse 4 and, until verse 7. Now, on a, on a lighter note, um, just for a moment, who, who remembers this? Who remembers a, a show on TV called The Wonder Years? Yeah, I used to like it. Thanks, Carol. I see the hand. It's nice. Um, it happened to come into my head the other day when I heard the song. What would you do if I sang out of tune? And I just did. Would you stand up and walk out on me? Do you know how? Do you know what comes next? You know, it's the idea of of remembering a time or a stage of your life when things were good. You know, a time in the past when things were. Good. And you compare your life now to what it was like back then. And so I wonder, can you think of a time in your life like that yourself? Maybe it was the best stage and time of your life. What comes to mind? Just keep it in your head. Um, what was the best time of your life? The wonder years. And, you, and then can you think of a time perhaps that was not? So good. That was not so great. That was not like that at all. There's a picture of, of me and some of my friends at what, what I think was one of the best times of my life, one of the best stages of my life. When I was, I was young, you know, um, maybe between the age of 16 and 22, I'm, I'm there in the middle with a guitar if you're trying to work it out. Um, you know, it was, it was a time when, when I was free and I was off on the camps over summer and I had lots of friends and, and it, was, it was great. 
um, just freedom and the sun and lots and lots of fun. And you know, there's nothing, almost nothing that I, um, nothing that I had to do, nothing that I had to do. Just, just free to choose, free to have fun. And it just so happens to coincide as well for me with that real special honeymoon stage of my, my walk with God. Baptised at 16. Um, and around that time it was like God was constantly speaking and at work in my life. Now don't, don't worry, it's not like today God does not speak um, or has gone away because you know, even in our, our, as a family, our move down here to, to Timaru, God has definitely been act, active and speaking and at, and at work. But it's not always like that feeling of excitement, you know, from those days that I experienced on those days on camp. Um, it's not always like that. And as I, as I zoom out the lens, there's something inside me that still really connects with the prayer of the psalm that, that just says on the surface, I guess, something like, um, Lord, I, wanna, I really want to feel that you're close. Like those days back then. I want to feel your presence and your closeness like those days back then. Have you experienced that before? That, that, that undeniable sense of God's presence, and God's closeness and God's love. God's provision. God's protection. Um, whatever it might be. God's glory, verse 9 in the psalm. I guess the truth for me that's expressed in this psalm is that sometimes we'll go through times in our lives when it's, it's not like that as well. Um, times that feel, might feel empty and might feel dry. Um, and in those times it, it can be hard because perhaps it can feel like we've, God has left us on our own um, or has just gone quiet, and so we, we might cry out as well, like in the words of this psalm, God, where are you? <clears throat> when will I hear your voice? When will you, you guide me in this? Or will you take away my pain? Whatever it might be. But do you know this psalm is about much more than you know my own personal feelings of of closeness and um, in my own personal you know, longings to feel, feel close and to feel God at, at work and answering my prayers and yours as well. Because this, this psalm is, it expresses a, a prayer that God's, God's presence and, and blessing will be known and, and will be felt in a way that's much richer and more awesome than just my warm and fuzzy feelings after camp. Um, or during camp, you know, my, my own personal woman, fuzzy feelings that, that God is, is close. Um, you know, this, this, the prayer of the psalm is, is so much bigger than that. Can you see, can you see all, the, all the pronouns? Can you see that it's all about, and can you see that it's all about us? There's no me in the psalm, but it's all about us. It's all about others too. So that what it's hoped for in this psalm is an experience of, of God's blessing that is felt not just by me or in my own life, but 
all across this land and, and perhaps beyond. Now, I've got to say, truth be told, I'm not sure if I've experienced that before. I'm not sure if I've, I've experienced what has been prayed for in this psalm. But it sounds to me, if I look at some examples, that if it were to happen for us today, that it, that it might look and feel a bit like this. I'm going to give you some examples of some times um, when God has sort of restored and, and revived God's people once before, or many times, in fact, before. And I wonder, as I share some of these examples, if you will see some common trends. You can tell me about the first great revival of the church. It happened on, a, on one single day. Um, you can read about it in Acts chapter 2, of course, when some 3,000 Jews and others as well came to faith in Jesus Christ and they received the Holy Spirit, um, God's glory, in a way that had never been seen before. And then it, it spread. It spread, didn't it? It spread all across the land. God's glory spread across the land. But then even, even that was only just a taste of what has happened time and time again throughout history as the glory of God um, was, was, was gradually spreading around the world. And it has. Like I love the story um, that many of you will know of, of the Moravian refugees who after months of commitment to prayer um, in worship, it was written in the, in the year 1727 that, listen to this, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon us. And in those days, great signs and wonders took place in our midst. From that time, from that, um, from that time scarcely a day passed but, we, but that we beheld his almighty workings among us. A great hunger after the word of God took possession of us all so that we had to have three services a day. Everyone desired above everything else. Let me say that again. Everyone desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit might have full control. Self-love and self-will, as well as all disobedience, disappeared, and an overwhelming flood of grace swept us all. Well, pause. And so began um, another worldwide explosion um, of, of prayer and mission and of revivals around the world. Ripples, ripples that spread and that washed up, would you believe it, even here. Ripples, so that by the, by the year 1840, over a hundred years later, it was written that on the other side of the world, about half of the indigenous population of New Zealand had also come to faith themselves and were experiencing the glory of God. The end of wars, intertribal conflict, peace. God's glory was covering this land. After they'd actually spread the gospel among themselves. 
1904, there was a revival in Wales after a, a group of, of youth, kids, not perhaps not kids, but youth, um, you know, he got a taste of the same glory themselves. And within just two years, do you know what? An incredible 100,000 converts had been added to the church in Wales alone. Well, there were more than 5 million converts to faith around the world from this time. The revival in Azusa Street, L.A., from 1906 to 1915 began when one humble, one-eyed son of liberated slaves began to pray in this old derelict-type building on Azusa Street, L.A., and it spread around the world and became the beginnings of the Pentecostal church. But I think perhaps the most amazing revival of all maybe, is the one that was born in China. Um, you know, in, in 1980, around the time when I was born, um, in China there were already two million followers of Jesus. But in another 20 years, this figure had grown to about 75 million radical followers of Jesus who, despite the threat of heavy persecution, were willing to give their lives to the Lord. And I say radical followers because you've got to be radical if you're going to give your life, you know, do that at risk of persecution in that way. Revivals around the world. And so I wonder today if we would like to join with the prayer of this psalm ourselves. I've said at the start, this is a, a short course on prayer through the psalms, an apprenticeship on prayer. And the psalms are here to, to teach us how to pray. The psalms are here to teach us how to relate to God um, and to form us in God's ways, to form our, our hearts in the ways of God. So I wonder if we will join in the prayer of the psalm today and, and this year and pray Lord, would you revive us all again? Would you revive us all again? Or I wonder if we might pause for a moment and just think, what actually might be standing in the way of a revival like that here today? Do you know what? I'm absolutely sure that God would absolutely love to pour out God's spirit in that way again and to bring revival to our land. I am sure. But if you read about each of these stories, then it's hard not to see some some trends that occurred in each case. For example, for point one, People came together with a feeling of an absence of God. People came together in prayer with a feeling of, an ab- of God's absence and with a hunger, a hunger to seek after God's presence once again. You know, in each of these cases, there was an absence of God expressed perhaps in hardship or conflict or division or just feeling um, you know, that God had, had left them on their own. And so hunger for God's presence came. And then they were willing um, to repent of all that was standing in the way. And and, and letting go of the things that were standing in their way of 
a removal of the roadblocks and the things that were blocking God's spirit from, from moving in that way. Many of the songs that we sang, Vaughan, um, you know, just really resonated for me in, in knowing what I wanted to say today. You know, a lot of these psalms, particularly uh, songs, particularly the first one, you know, the words of that song, I felt like my, my message had already been preached, um, you know, uh, in the words of the so- songs that we sang. This letting go and, and giving God control and a hunger for God's presence among us again. And there's this, I see this pattern as well, in the, in the psalm, in the way that it, it claims the real sense of urgency and, and passion from, from a place that was hard. <clears throat> Lord, we have, we have seen and we've experienced your salvation before. And there's this laying down of pride with the cry for God's help. Lord, you forgave us once before. You set aside your wrath. Perhaps, it seems, we understand that you're mad. It's reasonable, God, that you're mad. And in verse 7, as a sign of their repentance and their need, Lord, would you grant us your salvation again? So I want to ask you, if it is true that God longs to pour out God's spirit and blessing so that salvation flows, Beyond these walls, then I think surely we should ask, well then, why not here? Why not here? And why not now? Why not here in the city of Timaru? And why not now? I mean, for me, as I walk about, as I walk around the streets, I, I can't help but think, can you? This, this, this place is hungry for God. This place is desperately hungry to know God, um, how, many, how many people are involved in the city in things like the occult or in other spiritual things um, because they're searching to connect with God? We've, we've members of our church um, who regularly go out on the street and who, and who regularly are asked to pray for people who are hungry um, for God's healing and God's touch. And so I guess for me, I have to say that I don't think it's an issue of, well, it's just that there's no one here who's hungry to know God, um, or that we just have to wait for God's timing, because I think that God longs to pour out God's spirit once again. And so this all just leads me back, it corners me back with this question of, well, then if it's not God, and and if it's not our neighbors down the street, then who is it? Who is it that's got their foot on their brakes? Is it us? Is it me? And is it you? Well, in the last part of the psalm from verse 8 to verse 13, it's clear again that it's not God. Um, It's not God who, who has the foot on the brakes and who's holding up the flow. And I remember it's it's. Actually, our job as well is it, is it not to go into the world and spread the news. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is, is mine, and through him and by his spirit, the same power and authority, we are told, is, is ours as well. Why? So that God's glory and power might dwell in our land. Verse 9. 
So I'll just pause for a moment and, and just have a listen to the promises of this psalm. Have, have a listen and look out for the promises that are there in this psalm. As the author seems to just pause at this point as well. To, just to make space for God to speak into the clutter and the busyness of our lives and, and our minds. So from, I just want to read again from verse 8 until the end. <clears throat> it says this. I will listen to what the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but do not let them turn to folly. Do not let them be distracted or or to look aside from this thing. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, so his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together, righteousness and peace kiss Faithfulness springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good. And our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. It's very confident in the fact that God wants to move. What is it in these Verses that stands out for you. you know, this is God's answer to the prayer and to the questions of the psalm. So what is it that stands out for you? For me, I, I can't help but notice from these words that God does indeed promise peace to all who are faithful to him and who, and who don't turn aside, who, who don't turn away to folly. And in verse 9, God's salvation is not far away when we cry out like this ourselves. But it says that God's salvation is close. And, you know, through Jesus, it's here, isn't it? God's salvation is here, as Jesus said, so that God's glory might dwell in our land. I just want to invite you to dream for a moment and to wonder. What could it look like and what might happen if God's glory and salvation were to spread, I don't know, like a virus, um, and, and or to fall like rain in, in the city of Timaru and beyond? What might that look like, perhaps, on your street or, or in the city? Um, and how much is that vision on your mind, how much do we care? Yeah, you know, maybe sometimes it's important to be re- to reminded, maybe at the beginning of the year, to, to, to have our focus on that rather than on our own, all on our own hopes and dreams. How much are our prayers? How much are our prayers shaped around you know, things like praying for more comfort or? more healing or more ease, um, or that the, maybe the government will make decisions that are in line with our faith. Um, you know, as a church, we, we love the benefits. We love to be exempt from GST, you know, to be able to pray freely, to share our beliefs in the community, in our workplaces, in our schools. As a pastor, I'm even on a roster to, 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 to offer a Christian prayer at the beginning of our local council meetings, so I, I can't help but think that compared to a place like China 
or to, to Iran, the fastest growing church in the world. That it's all laid out for us on a plate. But how much of our prayer life and our hopes are focused on praying that God would actually pour out God's spirit on us again to enable God's glory to flow across our land and among the people um, who are hungry and in need for God today. It's interesting that the places where the church tends to grow are so often the places that are hostile to the Christian faith. Don't you think? Like China, Iran. And in line with this, there's, there's a very good book that I just finished while we were on, we were on, on holiday when we were camping that suggests the same. It's, it suggests that the, the deserts and the wild and, and hard places of our world on a, and of our lives are so often the places where the seeds of, of revival are sown. And we, we might pray that these things would go away, but, but this is so often the place where, where the seeds of revival are sown. Now, is the church today in a wilderness? I think it is. Um, are we in a bit of a, a tough place? I think we are. You know, the old tried and true methods and programs, they don't seem to work like they once did. And in so many, there are so many other things and distractions that fill our lives. And so, a lot like in the psalm, I, I think, maybe we have entered the space in between where we look back and we, and we, and we look ahead. We're in that space in between, between the blessing that we experienced once before and, and, and those prayers for, for revival once again. But as I just try to draw this now to a close, what if this is the very environment right now, today, um, of a recession, or of your ill health, or of, a, or of fewer numbers in the church, or of some other thing, whatever it might be? What if this is this, the environment and the very soil out of which God wants to grow a much, much deeper kind of faith? And a, and a much, much deeper kind of longing within us all. Um, even, even in just a small group of people in this church, to, to be lifting up our voices with this psalm and to pray, Lord, would you truly revive your church once again so that your blessing and salvation would flow? What if this is the very environment and soil in which the seeds of revival are being sown? The original context of the psalm is not identical, of course, to our own, but it's, it's similar. There, there, is, there is a feeling and a worry that God has gone. I read from the prophet Ezekiel, perhaps looking at the same, speaking at the same time. He says, then I looked and I saw that the glory of the Lord had left the building. It had departed from the temple. But the reason why this happened was not because God was bored, um, you know, wanted to go off and try somewhere else. And it's not because God did not want to pour out God's blessing, but it was because the people of God had persistently refused to listen and to seek God's face and to humble themselves and obey. 
They did not fear God. They turned to follies, as it says in the psalm. Which meant that love and faithfulness and and righteousness and peace could not kiss. Um, They could not be felt in in the way that these people lived. So, so God is faced with a choice. And God is faced with a choice today, with our generation today. Either, either leave them as they, are, as they are, or use a difficult time and place, like an exile perhaps, to encourage new seeds of prayer and faith to grow. New seeds of prayer and repentance and faith to grow. For those of us who believe in Jesus, we know that the answers to these prayers have been answered in, in him, have been answered in Jesus. Like, What does it look like for God's righteousness and, and peace to come together like a kiss? Look to him. We, we look to Jesus, don't we? And in Jesus' faithfulness, even to the cross, he's not only been faithful where we are not, but he's taken and absorbed into himself all of the things that hold us back, all of the punishment and and the costs that should be ours to pave the way, to open up the way. And And so in this way, when the righteousness and favor of God was held back by our sin, Jesus himself has stepped in between and become our peace. So that through him alone, our faithfulness can indeed spring up from the ground that would otherwise have been our grave. So as I close, I just want us to know that it starts with him. Who has filled in the gap created by our sin. Who's paved the way for the release of the fullness of God's blessing um, that God's spirit brings. Hard places and times are more often than not the environments where the seeds of revival are sown. That is here. That is right now. That is today. Action one. Will we come together and will we fervently pray as an expression that we want this to take place? As an expression that we believe that God wants this too. Will we come together as a church this year? And will we pray? Action two. Will we nurture a hunger for God's presence and glory and power within ourselves and within our own individual lives and as a church? A hunger for God's presence. Will we seek after God more than anything else with an absolute willingness to let God lead? Words, ideas that we have sung about today already. Action three, the last. Will we be humble and repent of all in our hearts and our lives that is standing in the way? That is preventing what, that's preventing what God actually, in fact, wants. Three actions to take away and to apply um, to our lives today. And I wonder how just the knowledge that God is already acting and longing to show us grace so that God's glory might dwell in our land. How might that motivate us to respond in these ways?
I want to close by taking a few moments just, just to pray, in prayer. Um, and so I've asked Vaughan if he might lead us in just one, one song to close. Um, but I, this psalm comes to me as a challenge, and I hope it comes to you as a challenge too, as an invita- and as an invitation to, to, to really press into the things that God wants for us as a church this year. Let's pray. And if you if you would like someone to, to pray with you, um, maybe up the front or, or somewhere, please come forward during during or after the song, or just ask someone afterwards to, to pray with you. Um, I'm sure they would love to pray with you as well as I would. Let's pray. Holy God, we know you, but in part, we we have heard stories of of what you have done, of the ways that your glory has. Manifest itself and, 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 re- and you've revealed yourself, Lord, in other places and times. And we look back to those times and we think, oh, why not now? And so, Lord, looking back, God, we move ahead and we pray for those times again. Lord, help us to, to come together in prayer. To, to fervently search and hunger for you. Lord, stir in us the hunger, God, that is needed for this. And Lord, show us the ways that we are in need, in need of re- repenting, Lord. Show us the roadblocks that we have created in our lives and in our church. Give us a spirit of humility and a, and a courage that we need to repent of those things, Lord, and to turn to you. You ask this in Jesus' almighty name. Amen.